Welcome to the Hearers and Doers podcast. I'm Becky Kaiser, and I'll be the host for this show. Do you need a space where you can show up just as you are? This is your place. Dry shampoo, crying kids, messy house, and barking dogs are all welcome here. Do you need a cheerleader who sees all your amazing potential and unique ways God's called and created you? Done, I'm signing up as captain. I'm a certified life coach and Bible teacher with decades of experience who isn't afraid to tell you the truth you need to hear. Some weeks I'll be sharing practical and encouraging and sometimes correcting shows, and other weeks I'll be introducing you to new and old friends. You ready? Let's go, my friend. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for being on the Heroes and Doers podcast. I was just telling you, I'm not even sure how we connected other than I feel certain it's because I have three wild kids <laughs> and your reels are unbelievably helpful and practical when it comes to how do we parent our children intentionally. Um, yeah. So welcome. Awesome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes. So for anyone else who doesn't really know you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you spend your days doing and what you do? Sure. So I am a mom of three. I have a 13-year-old girl, a nine-year-old boy, and a six-year-old boy. Um, I live around Philadelphia. So I'm in like a big city kind of area, which is awesome. I lived in Philly for 13 years. So uh, we love it down there. We really enjoy the restaurants and things. It's, it's, It's a really great city. Um, I actually am a trained opera singer, which not many people know. Um, so that's what I went to school for. I did my master's in voice and then I taught uh, music for a little while and did some singing. And then I decided that I wanted to do something a little bit more one-on-one helping people. And, um, so yeah, this is like my backstory to my business, which I don't, I guess we'll go into. (laughs) Yes. No, Um, keep going. But yeah, so, so yeah. So basically what happened was I got pregnant with my third. And when he, like, when I started to think about having three, Mm -hmm. which as you probably know, it felt kind of overwhelming to think about, you know, the outnumbered situation. (laughs) I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? Yeah. And I was also just kind of not handling things well, like in my own emotional life. Like I just didn't Mm -hmm. feel like I was like, I was anxious. I was just having a lot of struggles, like emotionally, And I didn't really want to bring that into my kids' lives. Like I wanted to feel like I was in a better place. And so also my oldest, who is a girl, was really challenging. And I didn't really realize she was really challenging until I had my second, who was super easy. Yeah, (laughs) He was like a laid back, chill kid. And I was like, oh, Oh. so I'm not crazy. She's actually difficult. And like, (laughs) but like in a great way, clearly, like we always say that, like there's some strong world stubbornness that is always helpful in the end as an adult. But anyway, so I was like, I think I need to figure this out before I have my third. Like I just need some more ways to work with them because I knew yeah. something was different. Like I knew my my daughter was just, you know, had some emotional things that were, I, I don't, I just didn't feel like, I felt like there was something going on. And so yeah. I had just found out that I was highly sensitive personally when I was in therapy for a little while. Okay. And that like blew my mind just knowing yeah. that that was going on. And it just helped me so much. And then I was right. like, wait a minute, I think my kids are sensitive too. And so I started down that path, yeah. doing a lot of research on that. And I started reading some books on it and I was like, oh my God, they are. And that makes, yeah. that makes so much sense. Right. So I, so I gathered like a bunch of tools myself, started using them with my kids, started, you know, working with a life coach myself. And I was like, 
oh, this is like completely different now. Like I can actually stay calm enough to use some of the tools I was reading and they worked. Like they were like instantly there was a shift like with my kids, how they responded to me, um, how I felt around them and just the energy that was going on between us. And I was like, okay. So at this moment, I'm at this crossroads where I know I want to do something a little different with my career. And I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to either become a therapist or something like maybe an LC, right? Work with moms. But I wanted to work with moms because of all this stuff that I had learned. And I knew like most people were just not aware of it anyway. Um, And so then I was working with this life coach, like I was saying, and she was like, you know, you could focus on moms and coach them Mm -hmm. with parenting skills. And I was like, what? That's a thing. She's like, oh yeah, that's a thing. So I started doing it that way. Just, um, I got certified in positive discipline, which Mm. is, um, a positive parenting, uh, discipline. And that was something that really was an amazing experience. Took that into my coaching. And then I, um, and then I, yeah. So then I just decided to start doing workshops with the tools that I had learned and that's kind of how it started. So that's what I spend my days doing. I work with moms on these specific challenges and all, most of them have highly sensitive kids are highly sensitive themselves. Almost all of them at this point are like that. Um, and I just, it's just really, really great to be able to, you know, watch their faces when they're like, Oh, I'm not crazy. My kids aren't crazy, you know, and just see that relief and just help them like, just to see, you know, that was what I needed so badly. And it right. made such a big difference to be able to do that now. And so I do that. And, um, I actually also am a managing director of a networking group. Okay. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I also, I coach soccer with my daughter. Oh, um, fun. yeah. And, um, well, I sprained my ankle playing adult soccer a couple weeks oh. ago, <laughs> but Good. I usually am much more active. Um, and I do that kind of, that kind of and I still sing sometimes. So that's kind of what I spend my days doing and wow. doing sports with the kids and all that. That's so fun. My my stepmom did opera <clears throat> growing up in our, we grew up in Houston and they had Gilbert and Sullivan. I don't know yep. if you're familiar. With, so she, oh, would, yeah. Yeah. she would do those. And so my brother and I would always like, whenever she would be like warming up at home ever, we would always try to like, just try to like, mock her and irritate her and the like pitch that we would have would just the things that only y'all can hear yep <laughs> yep exactly I actually did a lot of GNS for a while um, okay I love it I think it's really it's much more fun than opera like I feel like yes. it's just it's more accessible more and, playful yeah. yeah it's yeah. comedy and yeah. it's English and so you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's so funny um what else did I get to say? It was another funny thing she used to do is driving. Um, if she was like about to hit someone, it wasn't considered like a cuss word if she sang it in opera voice. So she would like be about to like crash into someone but say the word like, but sing it. And so then it didn't count. Yeah, <laughs> so there that you go. Like That's a trick. Funny. It's a good trick. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, my kids kind of cover their ears when I sing now. So it's been, it's been fun. (laughs) I bet. I bet. That's so great. Um, this is really like you even just saying this about your oldest saying she seemed very challenging and you didn't know it until you had the second, like I just, I so relate to that. And I feel like so many other moms do too. And you feel sometimes as a mom, like, is it me? Have I done something wrong? Um, 
And so I, a couple of questions, just even in you saying that statement is one, how do you know if you have a highly sensitive child? And then mm -hmm. if you have a highly sensitive child, like, how do you speak about that? Because like, I know, like, even just you saying that, like she, I didn't know she was highly sensitive until I had one that wasn't. And mm -hmm. I was the same way, but I feel so much like I can't, it would be dishonoring to her to talk to other people about that. Is it, mm. is it not like, can you help break some of that faux pas-ness? Yeah, no, that's actually a really good question because at this point, like, I don't feel that like my, like in, it, from my perspective, I feel like yeah. it's not anything that's a terrible, like something bad to talk about. And yeah. I, but it makes sense that people would think that, Yeah. but basically what it is, it's more of like a personality trait. So yeah. if you want to think about it that way, like if you're introverted or extroverted, like it's not like you would be, a sh you know, feel weird about talking about Neither's that. Neither's good this nor is bad. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like one's better than the other. I mean, some people yeah. might value one more, but it doesn't mean one's worse. And so yeah. when it comes to being highly sensitive, it's not like there's something wrong. Actually, it's that that's there's good. a lot of things going right because it's 20% of the population. So that's a huge chunk. Actually, yeah. it might be higher now. Um, and so clearly the gene survived. Like if you think about it as a personality trait gene, like it survived yeah. from primitive times. And there's yeah. a reason that happened. And a lot yeah. of it's because these are the people that like they, they have the, they take the temperature of the culture of the world mm -hmm. of the society. And they're like, yeah, something is really off. Yeah. And I need to change it. And like, they're the ones that will sort of like, be like, Hey, pay attention here. This is not okay. This is going in a really bad direction yeah. or like just in practical terms, they might know what berry is poisonous and yes. they would tell everybody not to eat it. Right. Yeah. Or they'd hear the lion in the, in the rush, you know, before yeah. anybody else would. So it's like this heightened version of like the five senses, right. That's good. Heightened, yeah. I guess you want to call it like vigilance. Mm -hmm. Okay. To what's happening around them. Yeah. Um, and so this is a valuable trait. Like we, right. we as a society actually benefit from having people that are sensitive, um, have a sensitive nervous system is other, yeah. another way you can say it. Um, are sensitive in the senses. And so, uh, so yeah, that's one way that I look at it is that like it survived. Like there's a reason that we're here. It's a reason, yeah. there's a reason that we are like this and clearly we've supported the, you know, the species. And then on top of that, just the idea that, um, sensitivity is just sort of like almost if you were going to say your nervous system, when I say nervous system, does that make sense yeah, to you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so your nervous system is sort of like your flight or fight. Yeah. responses. You're, you have the parasympathetic and then you have the sympathetic. And basically it's, if it's like a bucket, mm -hmm. let's just say sensitive people have that bucket filled up higher, like already. It's like right. naturally almost full, three quarters. Yes. Non-sensitive people might be like eh, a half to a quarter full, right? Okay. So as soon as something stimulating comes in, as soon as something emotionally triggering comes in, you you pour in more water in that bucket and it's just getting higher and higher and it's filling up quicker for these nervous for these people that are more sensitive, right? So you're going to see the reaction, right? The I guess impact on the person, it's going to come out differently. So sometimes you're going to have more flight or fight, more anxiety, more emotional responses, um, you know, difficulty just sort of filtering out what's happening around them. Yeah. Right. So then that's like their brain is going to function a little differently. You get these over arousals. So let's just say like a non-sensitive person walks into a room, they're going to notice like, I don't know, that person over there is talking or there's a green painting on the wall. 
But yeah. then if if like a sensitive person walks in, they see the painting, they smell vinegar, they're um, you know, they're noticing that the energy from this person over there is really negative and this person over here is really positive. They're uh, you know, they're feeling like they have to talk to every person. And if you know, they don't, like someone is going to get upset with them. Mm. Um, they're worried about what they look like, what, you know, what they're wearing, what you know, it's like yes. 20 million things coming in at right. once that they can't filter out as well. Um, because they're just so heightened to it all. Like it's not right. necessarily a problem, but you can learn to do that a little more easily. So when it comes to sensitivity, it's just more about how your nervous system is functioning and then also sort of how your brain reacts and I guess takes in surroundings and senses. Um, and neither thing is necessarily better, right? It's just different. And mm -hmm. so when I talk about my kids being sensitive, I see it very positively. I see it as a really beneficial thing, not just for them, but for the world. And the key, though, is to understand it and really know how to work within it. That's my goal is to help people understand that, like, there are so many tools out there that can help you fit into this world a little bit more so that it's not so difficult, but also honor these differences that you have at the same time. Adrian, like, we could end it right here because I feel like that right there is all we're not going to end it right here. <laughs> but like that right there is so huge that is so huge that if we could understand mm -hmm. it's just like with any other personality factor that mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with it in fact it's to be celebrated and right. it's not it's not something that needs to be fixed or corrected it just needs to be um properly fostered yeah. Um, so in my life coaching, one of my foundations is I'm certified in Myers-Briggs. And so one oh, of the yeah. foundations of that is introvert extrovert, right? Like yeah. you were just talking about. And it's very interesting in the, our American culture is so geared towards extroverts, extroverts and introverts are seen as rude and snobbish and disinterested and all of these things. And the number of when I've met with women one or one one on one, mm -hmm. or when I've met with companies who have individuals who are introverts in them, almost every single time there's somebody in tears because they have felt like I didn't realize it was okay to be an introvert. And I didn't realize there are things that I need to do so that I can be myself. Cause we're always trying to be what seems most celebrated which just deflates us more and just makes 100%. us more exhausted and more frustrated and less our authentic self. So I love that you say you celebrate their highly sensitiveness and that that's actually like a superpower. 20% of the population has, it's actually a really, really good thing while it might be a very, very challenging thing to parent, which is why you are here. <laughs> exactly. And I think you're right about that idea that we, that our culture sort of like uplifts and like values certain things more. Um, and I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the four temperaments. Have you ever read anything about that? It's very similar to Myers-Briggs. It actually okay. was like a person it's so temperaments are more about what you're born as. And then Myers-Briggs, okay. you know, your personality can kind of shift. Yeah. A temperament is more baseline. And yeah. so 
it's it's comes from um hippocrates in greek so like very very old stuff um but there's a book written by it by kathleen edelman but basically she relates it to kids and parents and how you can kind of work together it's called the grown-ups guide to kids wiring yeah i recommend it but what really helped me shift with that was that this idea so she has four categories well four two categories so it's introvert extrovert or task oriented and people oriented and so the combinations create different temperaments. And so each temperament has like a different, you know, grouping of traits and strengths and weaknesses. And so she goes a little bit farther into the book um, in that to goes farther into that in the book. But what I realized was our culture uplifts extroverted task oriented people. Yeah. Right. The people yeah. that get shit done. Excuse me. Yes. <laughs> You're gonna have to that. Um, get stuff done. And then also are just like out there, right? Just yeah. like big and everybody can see them and they have these big personalities. Like yeah. that's what our whole culture really values. And then you have the opposite introverted people oriented, yeah. which is what I am, right? Yeah. And so you have that temperament and you're and like, I'm noticing my sons that way and how every parenting book, not mm-hmm. every parenting book, I take that back, but like as a parent- A we're majority. Thinking, yeah, you're thinking this extroverted task oriented kid, that's the easy kid. Yeah. You know, that's the kid that's going to like do what you need them to do when you need them to do it. They're going to be right. motivated and they're going to be totally like if you if you correct them once, they're going to remember it and they're just yeah. going to do the thing that they need to do and they're going to do well in school and they're going to have a lot of friends. It's like that is that is like not the case with mm-hmm. the other temperaments at all. And so once you kind of understand where these temperaments are coming from um, and start to value them for what they are, it's like your whole parenting mm-hmm. dynamic can shift because if I know I have a people oriented kid. I know he's not going to be motivated by, hey, guess what? You can get this task accomplished. Mm-hmm. It's not going to motivate him. What motivates him is somebody doing it with him and connecting with people while he does those tasks. Mm-hmm. So even just that one shift of like, I have clients that come to me like, I have two kids that can do everything by themselves. And then this other kid that will not do anything alone. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yep, he's people oriented. Like, that's it. Yeah. Like, there's nothing. He's not not capable. It doesn't mean you're enabling him. It's like, right. this is how they're their temperament is they just want to connect while they're doing something and so to have that opposite temperament is really challenging for parents Mm -hmm. because of that expectation that as a society the value is extrovert task you know and so just kind of like understanding that there's nothing wrong with highly sensitive introvert people are like you know what I'm saying like there's value in all of those things um can just help you change your mindset like completely with your kids like you don't even have to know tools you're like oh this person is like this cool yes. like i can understand that simply you know? the awareness without even implementing tools yet mm-hmm. already this i even if this doesn't air your conversation has helped me um, so i'm so excited for this too for others to get to hear this um Okay, I'm trying to decide do we get into some practical tactical things or i want to ask a couple other questions before we get into uh, some like, okay, how do you handle this? How do you handle this? Yeah. Um, One concept in parenting that is hard with these like super sensitive kids is this like obey the first Mm. time, every time culture. And I feel like it's very, parenting is hard. (laughs) Like just parenting in general is so hard. And we just like, want our kids to just do the thing we ask them to do and just like behave the way that they should behave um how do we help as you encourage positive parenting 
how do you balance, like what does positive parenting look like when you're also juggling with disrespect and disobedience and all those things? And we'll get into some specifics in just a second, but yeah, how do you deal with that tension when with discipline and positivity and all of that? Yeah. So, so positive discipline, I'm just going to kind of the catchphrase for what it is, is that it's not rewards and punishment based. What it is, it's giving kids internal motivation to cooperate and to become the person that they're supposed to become. So it's like basically like the rewards and punishment, they're, that's external motivation, right? So instead we want them to be internally motivated mm-hmm. to do things, right? Which is really beneficial just in life to have that right. skill. And so what what happens when it comes to disrespect and obeying is that that tends to be all external focused, right? So we just do what we have to do because someone tells us to. But in reality, that's not sustainable for Mm -hmm. most people, much less kids. So what happens is it's almost like when there's an expectation of obey, those kids have to sort of push down some of the other things that are going on for them. They have to put their needs second to the obey only, or you know what I mean? Like don't disrespect, only obey. It's like they have to push down some of their needs in order to do that, which then creates a lot of, can create some issues with emotional, you know, intelligence and regulation because really positive discipline, the philosophy is that all behavior is communication. So anytime you see a disrespect or a kid that's not obeying, it's because they're communicating there's a need that's not being met. Yeah. So if we squash down those behaviors, we're never going to be able to help our kids understand what they need and help them meet it so that mm-hmm. then they can do it for themselves and have yeah. that ability as an adult. So it's almost like we're teaching them, what does it look like to ask for what we need? If we don't want them to do those certain behaviors, what else does it look like? Mm-hmm. And how do we communicate that better? as kids? Like, how do we communicate that better as humans and in a relationship? And so instead of thinking disrespect, obey, I usually talk about the cause. I usually talk about what's underneath. Mm -hmm. So my daughter tends to be very anxious. And so sometimes she will say something snappy, like it'll be like a snippy kind of remark Mm -hmm. or almost like intense, like she's yelling. Mm -hmm. And I know underneath that is not anger, it's anxiety. And so if I address the anxiety, you're going to have a better, oh, I'm going to have a better chance of her not doing that snippy stuff anymore. And she will let it go. Like once we address what's underneath it, it's almost like symptom versus actual disease, Mm -hmm. right? It's all the same sort of idea. So what I like to think about is if there's disrespect or there's like rudeness or kids are pushing back, that's a cue that there's something off. There's a need that's not being met and there's an emotional, probably an emotional cause underneath it. So if we don't address the emotional cause, you're just going to have the behavior stay around, stick around. Unless there being, unless there's a fear-based situation where there's punishment. That means that tends to make kids suppress emotions and suppress needs um, just to, just to kind of survive, I guess you want to call it, just to kind of like get through. Which is kind of the generation before us, which Mm -hmm. was very much like obey no matter what. Yes. Which can make tricky, like as we're going into the holidays, like can make parenting around generations very challenging because mm-hmm. um, everybody has different ideas and expectations on how you should parent and what that should look like. Because at one point, that's that's how it was, right? With yes. kids, you just right. 
you do obey and you listen to the adults and you show respect and that's it. Exactly. Yeah. It makes it, it makes it, I mean, the, the whole mindset of that generation is so different than where we are. But the cool part is you can find this too very easily is that neuroscience backs what I'm like, not what I'm saying, but when, what these different philosophies are saying, um, it backs that you're able to, you know, when you're able to, if you've heard these terms co-regulate, meaning Mm -hmm. you're able to stay calm with your child, uh, when they're in a kind of more emotional state, if you are able to be regulated, like truly your mm-hmm. nervous system is regulated, that co-regulation actually gives them like actually like almost like you're handing them these regulation neurons in their brain. You're like, here you go. Now you can build these neurons to be calm yourself mm-hmm. without me. Like mm-hmm. that's that's what that's what neuroscience has given us. So we do know that co-regulation is super, super important in building self-regulation. So when you're an adult, oh, I'm feeling this. Right. Okay. I'm anxious about this. And so that's normal. That's okay. Um, I don't have to react to it. I can process it, whatever. That's where we want eventually our kids to get to. It's just this knowledge of their feelings and knowing how to manage it and knowing how to react when they have. So for anyone who doesn't, hasn't heard terminology like regulate or any of that, what would be, so for me, it's an example of like a need for regulation is if my kids are, they just woke up in the morning and it was just one of those mornings, right? And they're stressed about this or this happened or there was a fight here and then they come downstairs and everybody's in a tizzy and then I start saying it and then I escalate it and it, that's where it gets escalated and I get dysregulated, yeah. which then further dysregulates them. And that to me is just where we just get out of sorts and stressed and overwhelmed and we're no longer our best selves. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about getting regulated, do you model that in front of your kids Mm -hmm. like out Mm -hmm. loud? And then do you have them participate? And if so, like what are some of the practices you do? Oh, that's a really good question because I don't, I don't do it out loud as in I'm like, wow, I'm really, sometimes, sometimes I do. If I notice that my, I'm not able able to regulate myself in the way I want to, I will talk through it because I want them to see I'm, I'm not perfect. Like, and this is what happens when I can't when I really just am struggling. So sometimes let's say we had a really rough morning and we get in the car and it's like rushed and I'm just like a mess. I'll be like, wow, guys, I'm really, really stressed out right now. And let's just say, I apologize for something that happened in there. And I'll be like, I'm just going to take a couple deep breaths. Like sometimes I will do that. Most of the time I just do it Okay. because that is actually just as impactful. And sometimes even more because you're addressing an emotional issue. You don't want to be logical around Mm -hmm. an emotional issue. You want to be, you want to focus on the emotion, like their emotional brain is uh, online is what I like to say. You need to have your emotional brain as, as also like, I'm not explaining as well. So you're, so like they're, they're emotional. So we want to make sure that we're regulated emotionally by, by addressing it logically doesn't appeal to the child in an emotional place. Does that make sense? It a hundred percent makes sense. Right. So then when I'm just I'm using my logical brain to calm myself. So I am using logic, but I'm also aware of my emotions. I'm also calm. I'm actually regulating my nervous system as in not going into flight or fight. That's what it means to regulate your nervous system. You're not in flight or fight. So you're, you can say you're calm. That's a good way to describe it. Um, You can say you're neutral even. Sometimes you can even be neutral feeling wise. And so one of those things, either one of those things would be useful when your kids are you know, in that emotional place, but I, but you doing that, you being in that space is actually mm-hmm. modeling 
how you would like them to also be. Like if they're freaking out and you're staying in a place of validation, calm, understanding, they're going to be like, you know, so this is also all unconscious. Like their unconscious mind is absorbing all of these things you're doing. And they're like, oh, so number one, mom's not going to leave me when I'm (laughs) upset. She's not going to, she's not going to reject me. I'm accepted. I'm safe. I can be at my worst self and my mom will, my mom or dad will still support me and will still be there for me. So that's one thing that they're absorbing. Another thing they're absorbing is it's possible for me to actually react calmly to this. They're also absorbing this idea that um, when, when you get upset, this is how you react. This is what you do, right? So they're absorbing all these different things. And also they're absorbing, my mom understands me. My dad understands me. My feelings are valid. I'm not crazy. They're absorbing all those, those messages just yeah. through you staying calm and validating their feelings. That's so good. Mm-hmm. So even just as you're saying that, I am thinking of women who are hearing this for the first time and thinking, this is so great. I wish I would have known it 10 years ago. I think I've screwed up my kids permanently, right? How I'm sure you've talked to so many women like that. What do you say to them? What do you say to women who feel like maybe it's too late, too much damage has been done? So two things. One, it's never too late for your current relationship with your child to be repaired. And then number two, there's always going to be something that your kids are going to take and interpret in their own way, not in the way you intended. So you are never going to be able to raise a child that like doesn't have any like little T traumas or doesn't have any things that they're carrying emotionally. That's not possible, right? Because we're all human. So just knowing that you did your best when you, with the tools you had at the time, that's huge. That's all. That's really, really important. And now if you're realizing maybe there's another way or a way you would like to try, that's going to be the perfect opportunity to, because, okay. So one more thing is I can build neurons like this in a coaching situation in my adult clients. So you do not have a place where all of a sudden you're done with these neuron mm-hmm. buildings. You're done learning about your emotions. You're done changing how you react. That never stops. Mm-hmm. Your brain is ever changing and is very, very plastic, right? We know the neuroplasticity. So we know that even if you have a 15-year-old or a 25-year-old, you still can co-regulate with them. You still can change how you react to them. Yeah. You can still change how you talk to them and it will still make a huge impact. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah, it's true. Never too late, even though it it may be harder to change patterns, but yes. it's never too late. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of like troubleshooting questions for you. And I know like each of these things could be like, and have been books and books and books and books and books, but I wanted to get your thoughts on each of them even so. Okay. Um, teenagers specifically, Have you noticed a different, you have a 13 year old, Mm -hmm. I do as well. And I feel like as my highly sensitive one, it kind of went up a notch when we we also became a teenager. It's not that it went up a notch, it just morphed into something. I had thought we had gotten into like a good rhythm and then it morphed into a whole new being. Um, 
How would any like tips or thoughts on highly sensitive teenagers and how to like help guide and approach them as they get even more towards independence and as you want to um, give them the freedom that they need, allowing them to be teenagers without, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, the teenager Yes. And so I agree with you. There is a morphing that happens, especially if you have, well, I guess boys too, but especially if you have a girl, right? There is going to be hormone sensitivity because you already have a sensitive kid. So just remember that you're going to have, they're going to have a much more impactful hormonal shift. Um, So you might see patterns that lend itself to that. Number one. Number two, with teenagers, I'm just going to do like a pretty brief overview. With teenagers in general, they, like you mentioned, they want independence. Mm-hmm. They no longer are looking to you for every answer. They now are looking to themselves for mm-hmm. these answers. They now believe they have the answers mostly, or they believe they can get them somehow, right? They can figure it out. So what you want to do is you want to play into that. And instead of a lot of telling, you want to do a lot of asking. Mm-hmm. You want to do a lot of helping them problem solve. You want to do a lot of like getting curious with them. Um, helping them to critically think and learn from their mistakes through not I told you so, but through empathy. Mm -hmm. So if your kid makes a mistake, which they're going to make a ton, which I highly encourage, Mm -hmm. get them to make mistakes, especially younger teens and younger kids. That's the time to do it, right? Little, Mm -hmm. you know, little consequence really impactfully, right? right, In their life. But the mistakes when they make them, we want to make sure that they are supported and they know that they can make those mistakes and come to you. And then you can say, hey, you know, like you can have empathy and then you can help them when they're ready, figure out what to do next instead of that. Or, you know what I mean? Figure out what they could do differently next time. Um, Another one is giving them control. Mm -hmm. So it's not just letting them make all these decisions. What it is, is you having conversations with them where they make the consequence. They you compromise with them. Let's say like, just for an example, let's say that they, um, want to go out with their friends, Mm -hmm. um, many, many days a week or something. And they're asking you all the time, like school nights, weekends. And you're just like, I don't really feel comfortable with them going out every, every weeknight. It's too much. You want to sit down and have a, like, almost like an adult conversation with them and be like, so what are you, what are you envisioning happen? Mm -hmm happening with your friend group? Like, what are you envisioning socially? How many days a week do you think is appropriate to go out? And you can, again, brainstorm together and come up with compromises and then say, okay, so now we've compromised one day a week, one weekend night, Hmm. Um, and then go further. What happens if that limit, you know, well, I like to give it a couple weeks and adjust, but like, what happens if that limit is broken? What do you think would be a good consequence? You would not believe what they come up with. Like they would come up with probably a more intense consequence than you would give. And Mm -hmm. I'm not big on consequences, to be honest. I don't think that they necessarily are appropriate in all situations. Mm -hmm. Um, Only something that you feel like it's related. So Mm -hmm. the the consequence may be, well, I don't get to go out two times that week. I get one. Mm-hmm. Okay. See how it's related to yes. what they're doing? Yeah. But you want to really be careful with consequences, especially with teens, because usually they're doing something because they don't have the skill level to do it differently. Okay. And so we want to make sure that we are noticing like this mistake, like you're going to notice kids, teens, especially get forgetful. 
That's yeah. a brain development issue. That's mm -hmm. not their problem. It's not like something wrong with the child. Mm -hmm. So like even understanding that that's a huge part of like the puberty process helps you yeah. to understand if they forget something, okay, I'm not going to punish them for that. That is not right. something they're doing on purpose. There's a couple okay. other things like that. But we really do, the more that we can support them in their mistakes, the more they learn from them is essentially That's what it is. Awesome. And then also the idea of open communication and compromise. That's really big. It's hard. Yeah. I think that will be... That's a struggle for parents because we don't want them to have to experience mistakes. We want mm -hmm. to protect that as much. But I think we're seeing a lot of entitled kids who are weak because they don't, they haven't been allowed to fail and struggle. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that's been parents trying to do the best they can loving their kids, but it's, of course. it's, of course. It's doing more. But even problems. just having that conversation and compromising kind of moves them away from entitlement, gives them more responsibility. Yeah. That's the goal. It's like it's giving them that skill of having responsibility, taking yeah. responsibility for something as opposed to, you know, I just whatever my parents do is what happened, you know, whatever my parents say is what I'm supposed to do. And that, and then, yeah, that kind of leading to entitlement that way, but giving them responsibility and then saying, you know, mistakes happen. It's, you know, and then supporting them through that. Um, what, uh, for, for siblings who fight, which is every sibling on planet earth, <laughs> how, how do you see, like, what does positive parenting look like when siblings are like, just having a ridiculous argument? What, how would you step in, in that situation? So there's, um, there's a great book on this. It's called siblings without rivalry. So I highly recommend it. But basically, she gives you five levels of sibling fighting. So like the first level is arguing and you just, I think she says, like, put your headphones headphones on and go in the other room. Okay. Let them deal. Yeah. Level like, and then each level gets higher and higher until you get to five, which is like physical fighting. So just knowing where your kids are on those levels is really, really beneficial because you really do want them to solve it if they can on their own. Little kids cannot solve these as these things as well. So you want to make sure that you're teaching them as much as possible when you can res um, conflict resolution, because this is not a skill people are born with. It's a right. skill you learn, right? Right. So, so one of my favorite tools, I'll just throw this out there is like, yeah. if my kids are wrestling or getting physical, I'll be like, is this play fighting or real fighting? Mm -hmm. And most of the time it click either shifts them away from real fighting yeah. or it just helps me to be aware of, do I need to step in or not? So okay. sometimes with boys, you can't tell. So yeah. you really need to ask. <laughs> yeah. And that's something that the book says too. So that's not my okay. thing, but I love that question. And you would okay. not believe gives them self-awareness also, yeah. right? Well, maybe I'm going too far. Yeah. And then when it comes to other conflict, you want to really have each, each kid just, well, okay. In the heat of the moment, yeah. there's a couple phrases you can use. One is um, a little bit more like a sportscaster Okay. We tend to be like a referee, but we want to move into sportscaster mode, which looks like describing what you see. I see one boy getting very frustrated and pulling a toy out of his brother's hands. I see another boy very sad because he lost his toy. If you and just like actually saying say those out loud. Okay. Yeah, saying them out loud to the kids. Um, if you want to go a little more deep and you want to kind of help them through it, let's say that they're fighting over a toy or something. Uh, you can go up to them and say like something to the effect of, 
you want them to solve it themselves. So you're kind of leading them through this. Hey, like I see two boys in one toy. What are we going to do? Two boys, mm -hmm. one toy. What are we going to do? And of course there's different age, you know, right. levels that will be able to respond to this better. But um, even three and up can do some of this. And then you can say, um, you can give them phrases. Like if one kid doesn't want to be physical and the other kid is physical, you can instruct them in the moment. Hey, Mac, sit. That's my, my son. Mac, tell Finn you need space. Say, I need space. And he'll, and like, eventually he just started saying it on his own. Hmm. And then the more, I mean, the, the cool part is, is that when you actually start saying things the way you want your kids to say them, thank yeah. you. Um, I appreciate you. Like the more you do that to them, it's the modeling is what goes into their unconscious. So I speak a lot about how I feel or how my kids feel and I label things for them. So now they are labeling how they feel to each other. I really don't like it when you take my toy or when you do that with the Legos because you're messing up what I'm doing. They'll say it like that. Okay. They might say it loudly. They might say it like angrily, but that is something that takes a little bit of time. Yeah. But the more that we can help our kids be self-aware, yeah. the more they can express themselves in the way that we would hope they would, right, yeah. in the future. So those, those just doing those things yes. on a regular basis helps with their communication also. That's so good. Yeah. And then when you get, when moms get crazy and then they tip into yelling, how have you helped moms who struggle with yelling at their kids? And what have you seen as the impact on kids when moms are, or dads, moms and dads are yelling? Yeah. So yelling can be very unpredictable for the kid and can, in, can possibly induce flight or fight in them. Right. So that's one of the reasons we want to move away from it because it can trigger more emotions in a kid it can trigger that shutdown or that anger from them. And we really, that's not super effective. Um, and then they also learn yelling is is okay. Like that's how we deal with things. But we're human, we're going to yell, like everyone has yelled. I've yelled, it's not something that we can avoid completely. But when you wanna move away from yelling, there's two ways I do that. There's the conscious version and then there's the unconscious. So I coach both, um, both parts of the mind. And so the conscious mind is, there's a thought there somewhere that's creating this feeling that's then leading you to yell. So let's say you're like, my kid's disrespectful. That's your thought. Well, that's going to lead you to feel angry. Mm -hmm. And then you might yell from that. Yeah. So if that's something that's really bothering you about what's happening with your kids and you're thinking that you might not be aware, but you can bring it to your awareness. Oh, what was I thinking in that moment? I was thinking like, there's such a pain because I never can get to work on time because they don't move fast enough. Oh, I'm thinking that that's definitely not going to feel great. We can change your thinking mm -hmm. and we can give you thoughts like nothing has gone wrong here. We're going to get, you know, we're going to get there exactly when we need to be there. Um, this is not a problem. Just anything that resonates with the parent in regards to keeping them calmer in the mm -hmm. moment. Like, and especially if you have tools, like the tools I teach my parents how to actually say things differently, yeah. they notice their kids cooperate better. So they feel more confident. And so once you feel more confident that you have things to do in those moments, you're calmer. So like that also helps too with the yelling so that you don't, it's like a lot of times parents are just like, I don't know what else to do except yell. Yeah. So getting those tools makes a huge difference. And then also if you're noticing that the thoughts don't work, the tools aren't really like, there's usually a part, like there's a piece of the puzzle where you're just like, these things work for all the other three quarters of what I'm doing. But this one quarter, I just, I feel triggered is the word. 
Yeah. That's the unconscious mind sort of running a program, right? From mm -hmm. childhood or something that's happened to you in, a pa in the past. So maybe you were expected to obey in your household. And when you didn't, you were maybe hit. Well, guess what's going to happen possibly when your kids are not obeying you, you could get triggered. And the reason mm -hmm. it's you're getting triggered is because your thought is, or your unconscious mind is running the program. This is danger. Like mm -hmm. not obeying is danger mm -hmm. as a program that you're running. So that I help them kind of move away from in a very different way. We do visualizations with that. And I rewire the connection that you have to obeying kids and danger. And we just, yeah. we break that connection for you um, through visualizations. So yeah. I'm gonna just give that one a clap. That's awesome. Right. So then having all of those tools, you know, yeah. at my disposal, I can cover pretty much anything that is triggering or is yeah. coming up for you when it comes to those, like those emotional reactions that you want to move away from, those two yeah. things should cover it. I had never, even though I'd like spent my whole life in counseling, I'd never thought before that when, when I'm getting dysregulated or triggered with my children, that it could simply just be a symptom of from my own past or whatever. And that could be the case with so many kids is it's not even about their behavior, but it's simply what is intrinsically happening within me. Yeah, um, I would say that's the cause many, many, many. The of majority the of it. Yeah, the yeah. majority of it is that's the problem. Yeah. And it makes so much sense because when you think about what we were taught as kids, it's like how we survived, right? Yeah. This is the program that helped us adapt. Right. So let's say you're a people pleaser. Yeah. Because when you were growing up, there was a highly critical parent. And if you were stepping out of line, your parent would criticize you. So you're like, well, if I just be good, all the time and don't make mm -hmm. mistakes. No one's going to criticize me. I'm going to be loved and accepted yeah. and no one's going to get upset. So then you bring that into your adulthood yeah. and guess what happens when you make a mistake as an adult? Like you feel like you're going to die. There's danger right. there, right? Because when you were a kid, you were helpless Yeah. and you had to make sure your, your parents were loving you, you know, in there to take care of you. Now as an adult, you don't need that anymore, yeah. but the program still runs. Right. So just being able to have that awareness around like, Oh, I think this is where it's coming from. And then being able to sort of rewire that trigger yeah. is huge. Like you just don't feel that way anymore when your kids do those things and you're able to get a handle on yeah. some of those feelings and regulate better. That's so good. Yeah. Okay. Last question for you before we wrap up is parenting is hard, obviously because of children, but it can also be hard because most people don't do it alone. They either do it with their spouse or they do it with their ex-spouse or they have extended family around. How, what do you do if you're like, okay, I'm on board for this. I want to work with you or I want to implement these, these things, but you can't get your co-parent on board or consistently on board. How, how do you handle that when you're writing solo? That happens so frequently. I'd say it's about half of my clients are doing it alone. Okay. The other half are doing it as a couple. Okay. So that's an option is to coach together if the okay. person is open to it. And a lot of times people are like, oh my gosh, are we going to have to, am I going to have to work on myself? Am I going to have yeah. to, like, is this going to be like therapy? And so then I focus it a lot on the kid and yeah. I make sure that they know that we're getting the benefit for the child, right? Yeah. Um. So you can coach together. The other thing is if they're not open to that, I just want the person that wants to do the change and actually put some of these things in place know that they are, that is enough hmm. and it can be enough. 
So even having that one parent co-regulating, co-regulating, you know, addressing the needs of the Mm -hmm. child instead of just punishing the behavior, um, making sure that they're validated and heard, compromising all this, like all of those things, if the one parent does that, you're going to have a really good chance that the child's going to get those skills, um, you know, throughout their childhood. So there's not a requirement for both. Um, and there actually is arguments that I've seen for having two different parenting styles is actually helpful because okay. it's just the child starts to learn like just different things from different from the different parents, right? Okay. Um, you know, the most the key part though is that the two of you as co-parents or as spouses or as um, exes are able to work together and come to agreements. Okay. And so that's the key that's the key part that you want to remember to work on. I've had people work together with me and just say, like, even just talking things out Mm -hmm. with a third party and just saying, okay, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this can actually just make it that much easier for them to do, you know, to, to work together in the house. Love it. Okay. Thank you so much for all this. We always wrap up with two questions that are just random and fun because everybody loves a good a recommendation. So where the Hears and Doers podcast, is there anything you are hearing right now? Maybe it's a song, a podcast, an audiobook, or anything that you would recommend to others? So this is a little heady. Okay. But if this regulation neuroscience stuff actually is hitting you like and you're it's helping you understand things. This yeah. is like my thing. I love this neuroscience behind it. And it's okay. not it's not it's um what do you want to say it? It's absorbable easy to understand. Okay. It's called the Huberman lab. It's a podcast, um, by this guy who is a neuroscientist and he actually specifically puts this together so that everyone can understand neuroscience. I love it. Yes. It's like, it's awesome. And he does their like hour long podcasts and you get so much information for every, there's one on play and like why play is important, not just for kids, but for adults. I mean, just super practical stuff. So I highly recommend if this sounds like, oh, you know what? I think this would really help me understand my kids, understand myself. That might be a good place to go. Yes. That's so good. Yeah. You you also do a really good job. Like I have taken like three post-it notes of notes (laughs) as a mom um, during this, this interview because you have a really special way, Adrian, of communicating hard, complex things in a very practical, tangible, easy to understand way. So awesome. I'm so you glad. are you are the same, but you obviously too are very well researched and educated and you know what you're talking about. It's not just like let's just l- butterflies and unicorns and right. Not that. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Last question. Is there anything you've been doing lately that you'd recommend to others? Anything I've been doing lately that I would recommend to others? Oh, I can give you one of my really simple stress relieving techniques. Ooh. How's that sound? Yes. Okay. I want to give you, be able to give you more than one. So my one, just a really basic. Okay. Is a breathing um, tool. And so okay. this I use when I'm feeling anxious, especially, and you just do in for four and out for eight. And the double exhale is what triggers the vagus nerve, which regulates your nervous system. So that double you exhale is really slower, important. Or is it like, we'll just do for eight counts. No, you just inhale, just straight okay. breath out, straight breath out, straight breath in, straight breath out. Nothing fancy. That's why it's so okay. great. In for four, out for eight. Okay. 
Um, this might be getting into a little more complicated. So okay. you tell me if this sounds insane, but this okay. is something I do with my clients. So what I like to help them understand, first of all, is what they're feeling and what it, where it is in their body and to describe it. So like, if this is something that you don't already connect, let's say you have a feeling of anger and I say, mm -hmm. where is the anger in your body? And you're like, I have no idea what that means. I've never thought about that before. Yeah. That that's like Greek. That's totally okay. That's again, one of the things I teach my clients. But mm -hmm. if you're like, oh yeah, I, I know, I know what anger feels like. It's in my chest and it's really, really hot. Okay. This will help you. Yeah. So I'm going to take that meta, that, that emotion anger. Yeah. let's just say, I say, Hey, like, uh, you know, you're, you're really dysregulated and you're angry. What, it, where is it in your body? Well, it's in my chest. What color is it? It's red. Um, is it moving or is it staying still? It's moving. Mm -hmm. And then what I do is I say, if it was an image or a cartoon, what would that be? So I've had some clients say to me, it's a volcano that's erupting. I've had some clients say to me, it's um, uh, like, it's like Tom and Jerry and Tom is just beaten on Jerry. Wait, is that the right one? Tom is the cat. Yeah. yeah. And, or I, I, I have like, um, it's a Tasmanian devil and there's heat coming out of his ears or something mm. like that. Yeah. So then I say, okay, what needs to happen to this image cartoon or cartoon for it to change? Hmm. And my client will say, well, the volcano needs to turn to lava. Or I'm sorry, it needs to turn to ash. The lava yeah. needs to turn to ash. So I say, okay, imagine the lava turning to ash. And what happens is that's how you process the emotion and let it go. Hmm. Let's just say the Tasmanian devil, well, he needs to calm down his ears. And he mm. needs to be, instead of red, he needs to just be back to brown or whatever he, they naturally are. Yeah. Okay, let's do that. Imagine that. And then the whole process, the whole thing just processes the emotion. And then you feel like you can let it go. You can, that emotion just gets kind of removed and you've moved on essentially from the emotion. So I've been doing that a lot, especially at night. If yeah. I feel like I'm thinking too much, I'll go, yeah. okay, where's the anxiety? It's in my chest. It feels like about a bunch of butterflies. I want the butterflies to land. And then it moves. Okay, now I have another, you know, feeling in my stomach and it's like this. And then I change that. And then I know it sounds very yeah. far from where some people might be, but I have to say it has been mm -hmm. like completely, it's just kind of, I don't know how to say it. It's just been really helpful for me. Well, I think it sounds far from where we are because we're so unaware of how we have, we feel Yep. And we've all we've all been conditioned to just be okay, right? Mm -hmm. And to not just suck it up and deal with it. Or in this social media world, just be like, I'm great. How are mm -hmm. you? And mm -hmm. so to address and acknowledge as kooky as it may be to be like, I feel like Tom and Jerry are in my tummy right now. But I, as you were taking in the volcano and the Tasmanian devil, I felt like myself calmed down just as I was taking that visual with you. And so, exactly. yeah. Um, One more thing, actually, yeah. if that's a little inaccessible, I should have started with this. When we are growing up, like what we basically wanted was for someone to tell us that we were right, like we were valid mm. in how we felt. When that doesn't happen, we don't have a, we don't have the ability to process the events or the trauma mm -hmm. that's happened. So we need to do that to us, ourselves now mm. as adults. It's called reparenting. You've probably heard it. But basically what you can do is when you have a feeling, typically what happens is either you push it down or you avoid it. So instead of that, you just say, of course I feel that way. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
And if that resonates more, that might be a good start. Yeah. That's, that's like one of the number one strategies my counselor taught me this past year is I have to like name thoughts or feelings I've had about the past and present mm-hmm. and say to them out loud, I can see the way I can see why you would think that it makes sense. Yep. Um, awesome. And, you got a good yeah. thing. <laughs> but it feels awkward, right? Because we, we feel like we can't let ourselves off the hook for those kinds of things because we should feel bad. Um, so, yep. oh my goodness, Adrian, I feel like I could talk to you for 12 hours. You are so helpful and you're so kind. You're so easy to chat with. So how can people further connect with you? Cause I know they're going to want to keep learning from you and um, hearing what you have to share. So how, what's the best way for people to connect? So the best way would be to follow me on Instagram. My handle is Adrian Bishop coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that you'll be able we'll to have the, the spelling yeah. and all that. Um, and then also I do have a Facebook group, which I sadly I'm not in as much, but it's a good way to kind of connect with some of the, I've had it for five years. So there's a oh, ton wow. of really great resources in there and it's called calm, confident parenting. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And then my website is adrianbishopcoaching.com. Yeah. So. so if people would like to work with you, you're still taking on new clients or things yes. like that. So if people mm-hmm. would like to work with you, they just go to your website. Yeah. Um, go to my website, fill out a form for a free consultation. And then we just oh, talk through. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Nice. Um, thank you again so yeah, much. You, I really appreciate it. James 1.22 in the ESV says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Or the message translation says it even more bluntly. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. This podcast is called Hearers and Doers because that's the kind of people we are committing to becoming. Women are men who choose to not just hear what is true, but actually live it out in our day-to-day lives. I'd love to hear your big takeaways from today's episode. Would you share them? Post them on social media and be sure to tag me at Becky Kaiser. And if you love today's episode, don't forget to give it an awesome review because that helps others find the show too. And you can always text the link to friends so they don't miss it either. Hope you have an awesome rest of your day, my friend. Love you so.